Hello friends, good morning, maybe good afternoon, or maybe good evening. I have no idea when you're watching this. Maybe you're on our campus, or maybe you're at home with a cup of coffee in your hand. Either way, I'm super glad that you have joined us for worship today. You know, if you've watched TV over the last few months, well, if, who am I kidding? We've all watched way too much TV over the last few months being stuck at home. But maybe you've watched TV and noticed this, or maybe you've heard it on the radio. One of the things you've heard over and over and over again is some variation of how we are living in unprecedented times, or maybe uncertain times, some wording like that. You know, we've seen those commercials, that slow panning camera, that soft music in the background, some Morgan Freeman type soothing voice, telling you these are unprecedented times, challenging times as, uh, uh, that we face right now in the world. But together we will rise up and you too can buy the toilet paper you need, right? That's, that's this commercial, these dramatic commercials just to sell you something. It, it's, it's as if there's some ploy to get you uh, to buy something constantly. And it's as if the marketing companies are in this competition as to who can make the most thoughtful commercial while selling you some sort of product. But I get it. These are uncertain times, maybe even unprecedented. But that's the way things have always been, right? That's just the way life is. None of us have ever been able to predict what will happen next. Though many of us will plan and will plan and will plan out our lives, uh, we can probably count on one hand the amount of times our plans actually went according to plan. While for most of us, we would have no idea how many times plans fell apart, plans didn't work, plans didn't go the way we wanted them to. But that's life. You know, that's the human experience. We don't know what will happen next. We wake up daily hoping that things will go the way we want them to. We're, we wake up daily hoping for the best, but sometimes that just isn't what happens. One day we find ourselves homeschooling an 8-year-old and an 11-year-old while at the same time Googling fractions because we have no idea how to remember how to do fractions, trying to get lunch ready, emptying our dishwasher for the 1,000th time, and trying to get ready for another Zoom meeting for work. Unprecedented times indeed. So what are we to do? You know, over the last few months, Chris has been walking us through this, uh, this series uh, about community, coming together to be connected. He's walked us through some hard conversations about ourselves, our world, and how we as Jesus people can move into a better space of loving each other through chaos and through unprecedented times and places. But today I want to dig into a few of my own thoughts that I have about moving forward together in life with each other, the world, and with Yahweh, our God. So we're going to jump back in time. We're going to get in our DeLoreans. We're going to gun it to 88. And we're going to look at the life of a man who changed everything by doing something no one had ever done before. And how that sets us up on a path of uncertain times in this world. But allows us to have peace amongst it all. So in Genesis chapter 11, the scriptures begin to narrow in on the human experience of God's people. You know, up until this point, the narrative Genesis 1 through 11 of the Bible has been this big picture view of the world. Jumping from creation to the casting out of Eden, then quickly through generation after generation to the setting up of cities, corruption among people, then pausing to give us the flood narrative 
but then quickly jumping back through more generations after generations and more bad decisions by the people in this world. All to give us a glimpse of how the world got to where it is and what God is going to do about it. So in Genesis chapter 11, the story starts to slow down and leads us to a man by the name of Terah, who would take his family out of their birthland of Ur and head towards Canaan, which is kind of a nice wink-wink to the reader about where this is all headed toward the promised land for God's people. But they don't make it there and eventually settle in Haran. There, Terah's family became wealthy and successful. According to some other Jewish writings, Terah made and sold idols for the many religions represented in the land at that time. Terah, as you may not know, is the father of Abram, or as we will soon know him as, Abraham. And this is where it gets really interesting because Genesis 1 through 11 so far, like I said, has been kind of the speed through uh, the primordial history to get us to chapter 11. Then the story takes an unexpected turn. One might say even unprecedented turn. But introducing, by introducing us to an idol maker's son who will change the course of history. Abram, in chapter 12, is called out of the blue by, as the scriptures make it seem, a disembodied voice. Genesis chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 12, 1 through 3 reads this. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now this is a big, big deal. As Thomas Cahill puts in, the, in his book, The Gifts of the Jews, he says, In the revolving drama of the heavens, primitive people saw an immortal wheel-like pattern that was predictive of mortal life. And at the center of this wheel spinning, this wheel of life, they found the hub of death. What Cahill understands about the earliest people was that they saw their lives as this cyclical pattern, a pattern of birth, work, children, death. There was no escaping it. A young man was born, he worked for his father, he was married, he had children, took over the father's job when he died, worked more, and then died himself. And likewise for women, they were born, worked for their family, were married off to another family, had children, continued to work for that family, and then would die. There was no escaping from this pattern until Abram hears a voice in the desert calling to him, calling him into something unprecedented, uncertain, unknowing. And verse 4 will tell us this. It says, So Abram went. The call of Abram becomes a turning point in the human experience. People didn't do what Abram did. They didn't just leave their families for everything. They didn't leave their families behind. They didn't leave everything behind to go to a completely new place. Again, people lived in this cycle of life and death that repeated itself endlessly. What happened to your ancestors would happen to you. But Abram, well, he leaves. He steps out of that cycle and walks into something new, something no one had done before to go to a new place and go without any guidance other than to just go. So Abram went, and immediately things become even more unprecedented and more uncertain. Immediately Abram goes through Egypt and is afraid of the Pharaoh and passes his wife off as his sister, which 
as we know, ends pretty poorly. Then Abram and Lot separate on different land, and it causes Lot, his nephew, to be captured, and Abram has to pull off this amazing rescue mission with all these other tribes. It is high drama at its finest in the early parts of Abram's calling by God. So what's a guy to do? You know, what is a man to do? What are we or any of us to do? Living in new times, new places, doing things totally different than we ever have, it can be scary. And it can certainly cause anxiousness. Life is different now for all of us, right? Life is different now than what we had grown accustomed to. So what do we do next? Let's jump into chapter 15 of Genesis. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look, look at the stars and count. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Verse 6 says, Abraham, or excuse me, Abram believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. So right there, verse 6, that's where we want to key in on. What Abram does, he believed Yahweh. This is what we do. This is what our calling is, to believe Yahweh. That word there, believed, did you know that this is the first time it shows up in the Scriptures? Right here, generation after generation, and here it is, the first time someone is recorded to believe the Lord. The Hebrew word is one that many of you might be familiar with, and you may not even realize it. The word here for believe is amen, which is where we get our word amen. So right here in Genesis 15, with all the things that are unpredictable and unprecedented, all the newness in Abram's life, what he does is he amened God. You see, to amen God and to believe in Him is not... Uh, sometimes how I think we use the word uh, belief, where we think of it as this mental knowledge or agreement about something. For the Hebrew people to amen God was to fully trust him. So for Abram in this moment, he isn't acknowledging the existence of, of Yahweh. He is putting his trust in this God who has called him out of the desert and into something new. The Oxford Jewish Study Bible comments this about verse 6, and I love what it says. It says, With nothing more than an extravagant reiteration of the promises of offspring, Abram drops his question and trusts in the Lord. This faith and trust does not mean believing in spite of evidence. It means trusting profoundly in a person, in this case, the personal God who has reiterated his promise. I want to say that again. The faith, this faith and trust does not mean believing in spite of evidence. It means trusting profoundly in a person. And in this case, the personal God who has reiterated his promise. 
You see, for Abram, who would soon get his new name and, and, and be called Abraham, he didn't need to know all the details of the plan. He didn't need to know what the outcome of uncertain times would be. He just needed to trust that God was good, that Yahweh was true to his word, that Yahweh was faithful to his promises. In that, Abraham could believe in Yahweh. In that, Abraham could amen the creator of the universe. In that, Abraham could step out into the unknown, change the cycle, the course of history, by being willing to break the cycle that he was used to and go where he was being called to trust. So as we live in unprecedented times, not knowing when COVID-19 will ease up on our nation, as we wear our masks at the grocery store, as we get ready for another school year, not knowing what it will exactly look like, or if we'll have to homeschool our children again. As we get ready for who knows what's next, we trust. The Apostle Paul would later reflect on Abraham's trust in his letter to the Galatians. He writes in chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, he says, So Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And there Paul is using this word for faith um, that comes from the root word of belief which comes from the root word of trust. So for Paul to have faith and to have trust and have belief, they're all tied into this same thing. Paul understood that Abraham's faith and his trust would lead him to be a blessing to all the world. So too, we as Jesus people, we can be a blessing to all nations, to all the world, when we are called to trust the Lord. So that in turn, when we trust and we have great faith, Again, not this mental uh, knowledge of, of, of knowing and believing that something exists, but having, having trust, true, deep trust in this God that we love and that we know created us. We will be a blessing to the world as well. So what do we do? I think we say amen. We trust in the God who is good, the God of Abraham, the God who is faithful to his promises. Does this mean that things get easier? No. You know, the rest of Abraham's story, it, it shows us that things don't get easier for him because he trusts in the Lord. So does this mean that hard, difficult times, they'll, they'll end sooner? No. The story of God's people will show us that sometimes things take a long time to get better. But we still say, Amen. We still trust that God is good, that God is faithful. We still trust that God has loved us enough to show us true life through Jesus Christ. So we take the next step. I don't know what that is, but like Abraham, we say amen and we trust in the Lord. So church family and anyone else watching uh, and listening today, I encourage you to trust this morning. That every time you say amen, you are not just ending a prayer, but you are making a declaration that no matter what happens in this life, where you go and how uncertain life may be, 
you will trust in our Lord, creator of the universe, Yahweh. Grace and peace to you, my friends. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us today.